16. For those of you who are visiting, we believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be, uh, in fact, the um, inspired and authoritative uh, word of the true and living God. And so uh, it is our practice to uh, preach through books of the Bible, and so we are working our way passage by passage through the book of Acts uh, at present. I skipped over the prayer of intercession. I thought it would be more appropriate um, to uh, pray the prayer of intercession at the end of the sermon uh, this morning. Acts chapter 16, beginning with verse 16, continuing through verse 24. Please hear the word of God. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought uh, her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned to her, or turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owner saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and are and they are dis- disturbing our city they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice the crowd joined in in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods and when they had inflicted many blows upon them they threw them into prison ordering the jailer to keep them safely Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Let's pray. Almighty God, I pray now that you would open our ears and open our hearts to hear your word. That uh, you would be our teacher. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a question for you. On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being bad and 10 being absolutely wonderful, how happy are you with your current circumstances? You kind of got an answer there. Of course, I'm not looking for you to, to uh, yell one out. But uh, have an answer in your mind. Now, I want to ask you this. How do you think the Apostle Paul would have answered that question if it had been posed to him while he was sitting in the Philippian jail? I submit to you that he would have given his circumstances an absolute ten. Listen to to the way Paul views suffering. You heard a little bit of it from Philippians 1. Philippians uh, was written while he was in jail, not while he is in the jail uh, here in Acts 16. This is later in life when he's spending a lot of time in jail. But um, 
um, listen to these other passages, and I had to leave a lot out for time's sake, but listen to how he viewed suffering. Romans 5, verses 3 and 4, Paul said, Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-5 The Apostle Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. It's almost as if Paul welcomes suffering. He puts his arms out and and takes the suffering in so that then he can also receive the comfort and compassion of God so then he will then be filled with comfort and compassion so that he can give away comfort and compassion to God's people who are themselves suffering. Philippians, at the end of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, Paul said, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Colossians 1, verse 24. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, which is the church. What enabled Paul to take such a view of horrible circumstances? What caused him to be able to rejoice? What caused him to welcome suffering? And if I can real quick, just to underscore my point, look ahead to the next verse uh, for next week's sermon, verse 25. Paul is in jail. He is in the inner part of the jail. His feet are shackled. And what do we find him doing in verse 25? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to him. What was Paul doing? He was worshiping. What would I be doing if I had been thrown in jail unjustly? Probably complaining, having a pity party, being pretty self-centered. And here is Paul worshiping God. What enabled Paul to worship God in the heart of that prison? What enabled him to have such a view of suffering that he would welcome it, that he would embrace it, that he would say that he could rejoice in his suffering? What enabled him to do this was he knew that God had placed him exactly where God God wanted him to be. That's quite a statement. You are exactly where God wants you to be. 
Your circumstances are the circumstances that God in His goodness, in His purity, in His power, and in His love for you ordained for you before the creation of the world. Remember how Paul ended up on the European continent going back a couple of weeks to the beginning of, of um, or really to verses 6 through 10 of Acts 16? Remember how he went out on his missionary journey? He's going here and there in Asia Minor. And in verse 6, um, the Holy Spirit forbade Paul to speak in this place or that place. And then verse 7, when he, when he couldn't speak here, he went to another place. And verse 7 says, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow him to go there. And then in verse 9, he has this dream in the middle of the night with the Macedonian man saying, come over and help us. And so Paul made a beeline for the Aegean Sea, uh, took a ship across the Aegean Sea from Asia Minor uh, over into to Greece or Macedonia and... Uh, then went to to um, to Philippi, and when he got to Philippi, he went out to the place of worship, uh, where he met Lydia, and Lydia became a believer. And it's easy to believe that God's leading you when good things are happening, when God's saying, "Okay, you need to go here," and then you see God's leading. But then things. Take a turn for the surreal. Paul and Silas and Timothy, remember he had picked up Timothy uh, in Asia Minor. And also apparently he has picked up Dr. Luke at this time. Because Dr. Luke, uh, who wrote the book of Acts, begins referring Instead of they in the third person plural, he begins referring to the first person plural. You begin hearing we and us. And so Dr. Luke is with Paul and Silas and Timothy at this point. And they are headed out in verse 16 again to the place of prayer. Uh, They met Lydia there. It was out by the river. And so they're heading back there again since they had had such success in in leading Lydia to Christ. They say, well, here is a well-stocked fishing hole, if you will. And they go back to uh, talk to other people about the gospel on the Sabbath day. But as they are going... There's a slave girl who is possessed by a demon. And she begins following them around. And she's calling out in verse 17. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this went on for several days. Finally, Paul grew greatly annoyed. And he turned around and he rebuked uh, that demon and the demon came out of her at that very moment. And uh, what ended up happening was these men who were using her to uh, earn a living by her fortune telling uh, lost their income. Now of course you're wondering, why would that demon be... um, causing this woman to follow them around and call out these are servants of the Most High God. It seems like free advertising, doesn't it? 
Well, it's the same thing that happened with Jesus when the demons would uh, would recognize Jesus and they would say, "Here's the the Son of God," and Jesus would rebuke them and and try and make them uh, to be quiet. Remember how we went through the book of Mark? Apparently, uh, the demons thought that if they um, called out what they were doing, that they would have power over them in some way, and um, Apparently Paul took the free advertising for a few days but then grew annoyed and said this is not of God and, um, and cast the demon out of her. But uh, as I said, the men who were making money off of her got really angry and so they lodged an untrue accusation against him. And here's Paul, God's man, out doing God's work trying to go and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, this woman comes up and starts following him around. And then when he really helps her by casting this demon out of her, then he is uh, lied about uh, to the town council. He is drugged. He and Silas uh, were drugged before the... Um, the entire town down in the market they were uh, convicted of crimes that they were not guilty of they immediately stripped them of their clothes they beat them with rods and then they threw them into the jail and it wasn't like Falkenberg jail or, or anything else those jails back then were awful places to be And they not only put him in the jail, they put him down in the deepest part of the jail and then put shackles on their feet. Under these circumstances, Paul might have been tempted to think that he had stepped outside of God's will and maybe he would be tempted to ask, Why God? Why are you doing this? Or we'll examine his his motives against maybe our motives next week. Um... And how we might react if we were thrown in jail unjustly. But, but he doesn't ask why. Rather, he worships God. I know how I would have reacted. Because when I was, I had graduated, no actually, uh, this was my second trip to Uganda, and so it was after my first year of seminary, um, at Knox Seminary, before I transferred to Westminster Seminary. I went to Uganda. I got over there, promptly got food poisoning, and lost 17 pounds in two days or, or in two weeks, and um, was really out of it. But the problem was, um, well, before I say that, what it, I, I was, I got angry at God because I felt like I had sacrificed in raising support and spending my own money and then going halfway around the world to preach the gospel and I couldn't get out of bed. And I had food poisoning with Ugandan plumbing and it is the most unpleasant experience that anyone could ever experience. And theologically, I knew that God was in control. I knew that He could have prevented me from getting food poisoning. I had sacrificed so much to come to Uganda. And so logically, in my mind, God should not be allowing me to be sick. 
And to make matters worse, two of the pastors, um, the seasoned pastors that were with us, came down with malaria. I should have been thankful that I didn't get malaria, that I only got food poisoning. But they came down with malaria right about the time I was able to get up out of bed and get on my feet. They had scheduled a preaching conference. The two of them were to preach a total of five hours each day. They were down. I had to step up by myself. And I had to preach five hours a day. And I remember the morning, the first morning I was supposed to preach, I was so angry at God for letting this happen. I had not gotten any sleep. It's a long story. I won't tell it now. I think I've told it before in the past. But I was supposed to go preach and I was angry at God. Well, talk about being in between a rock and a hard place. What am I going to do? And I opened the scriptures and started reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, or 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And um, I repented of my anger. Because I realized if God, if, if God could cause Paul to suffer so that Paul would rely on God, maybe I should have gotten malaria. Maybe I should have gotten yellow fever on top of malaria to teach me to rely on God. And so I repented. And I relied on God because there was nothing else I could do. Preaching five hours a day, and I, I really had only completed one year of seminary. I had not preached, I don't think, five sermons in front of... In front of other people before, outside of a classroom. And God blessed it. He blessed that time like I, like I can't describe to you. And I learned to rely on God. I'm thankful now for that sickness. Here's what I'm driving at. Whatever circumstances you find yourself in, God has placed you there. He is the sovereign God. You are exactly where God wants you to be. And I am well aware, because I've been talking to some of you over the past two or three weeks, I am well aware that I am preaching to some of you who are going through the absolute worst period in your lives uh, at this point. I am well aware that I am preaching to some of you who have lost husbands and wives through death. I'm well aware that I am preaching to you, uh, to some of you who have been hit especially hard through this economic downturn that our nation and in the entire world is going through right now. And you're having a hard time making ends meet. And I am here to tell you, that our God is 100% in control of your life and your circumstances. Your past, your present, your future lie in the hands of God. And you might be tempted to say at this point, well, it was my mistakes that brought me to this spot. Well, yes, certainly, we are responsible. But God is sovereign. He uses even our mistakes to bring about His will in our life. 
your mistakes if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ cannot cause you to fall out of the hands of God. Your mistakes cannot circumvent the will of God. You can trust God just like Paul trusted God because God is no less concerned with you than he was with the Apostle Paul when Paul was in jail. Your circumstances can be unthinkably brutal, but you can trust in God. Your circumstances may be knocking you for a loop right now, but you can rejoice in your trials, knowing that God has a good purpose in sending you the circumstances that you are presently facing. James chapter 1, if you read it in the context, it's around verse 17 or 18, it calls God the, the giver of every good and perfect gift. And in the context, the good and perfect gifts that he, that he is giving us are trials. The context demands that we see it that way. Have you ever thought of your trials as being good and perfect gifts from God? Perfectly tailored for you? Sent to bring about His good in your life so that you can rejoice even in your sufferings? God sends circumstances into our life that will indeed test our faith. That's what's happening here with the Apostle Paul. Uh, The chief reason that God sends trials into our life is to refine us and to cause us to grow in our faith. And God is willing to pull Paul off the front lines of doing evangelism and throw him into shackles so that Paul would learn to rely on him. It shows how um, intense... um, or how completely God is on making us holy. That He is willing to pull Paul off the front lines of doing evangelism, to put him in jail, to teach him to rely on God. What this teaches us is that God values our holiness even more than He does our preaching of the gospel. At 2 Corinthians uh, 1, 8 and 9, Paul said, My suffering was so bad that I despaired even of life. But this happened that I might not rely on myself, but on God who raises the dead. God values our holiness more than our happiness. And God wants to test, this is the second reason why God sends trials, He wants to test the reality of our faith. Metal cannot be trusted until it has been tested. The same is true of our faith. Many people who call on the Lord have false faith. Jesus said, Matthew 7, 21 um, through 23, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, who don't really know Him. And God loves us so much that He sends trials to test our faith, to see what the quality of it is. Many, um, and God loves us so much that He's willing to put us through the ringer to test the character of our faith. 
And then thirdly, and this is also related to the first reason why God tests our faith, is He brings testing of our faith, or He brings trials into our life to help us build habits of faithfulness. Rejoice in your suffering because um, suffering produces uh, perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. You know when you have been faithful. Uh, when God has sent suffering into your life and you've responded to it biblically, you've rejoiced and you've trusted God, you know then that you can do it the next time. And you experience the power of God in your life and, you are re- and you're encouraged. And so you build perseverance. You build consistency. You build faithfulness. Your faith grows stronger. But see, by and large, we here in America have a pretty immature view of suffering. We like to think that suffering will always be temporary. We like to think that God will always let us know exactly why we're suffering. We like to think that it will always work out as we hope and as we wish. But God might not cause everything to work out as we hope. So let me ask you, in conclusion, on a scale of 1 to 10, just to see how your thinking may have been affected over the past several minutes. On a scale of 1 to 10, how do you view your circumstances now compared to the way you viewed them maybe 20 minutes ago? And then secondly, how can you know that God is working in the midst of your bad circumstances? Well, you know how you can know? Romans chapter 8 tells us. The Apostle Paul says... Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with us or along with him graciously give us all things? You hear the logic? If God was was unwilling to spare his son for you. If God was willing to send His Son to the cross for you, then you can rest assured that He will graciously give you all things. That He will graciously work all things together for your good. It may not be according to your desires, but it will be for His good. And you will be blessed as a result. Even if you never see a way out of the suffering, even if the suffering continues throughout your life, like Joni Erickson Tata, who dove into a shallow part of the Chesapeake Bay, broke her neck, is a quadriplegic to this day, yet she rejoices in God. He may not deliver us as we hope, but He will deliver us according to His will and for His good and we will be blessed as a result even if we can't see it. Let's pray together. Almighty God, I lift up our congregation to You right now as there are many who are struggling 
under um, health concerns. God, we continue to uh, remember Trudy to you. We think of Shelley Jackie's father, uh, who had half of his lung uh, removed earlier this week and is in ICU. Father, I think of my dear friend uh, Cole Nickel, um, who I got to share my life with. And um, his child died yesterday, uh, being only just a few weeks old. Father, I also think of those who have lost others in our congregation who have lost loved ones. Wives who have lost um, husbands. Husbands who have lost wives. Children who have lost parents. Parents who have lost children. God, I pray um, that you would help them to keep their eyes fixed on Jesus. Father, I know that we have some in our congregation who um, have recently joined uh, our body, um, who um, have marriages that, um, through no wish of their own, have fallen apart. And God, I, I can't imagine, and I lift them up to you. God, there are others who have had their retirement wiped out through this economic um, downturn. Fathers, others who have lost their job. Others who were uh, relying on the value of their homes for part of their security later in life and have seen all of that um, uh, wilt away. God, I... I pray for them. And I ask, Father, that you would remember your promise in Matthew 6. That you would, um, as they put you and your kingdom first, that you would clothe them so much more than you um, clothe the, the grass of the field that is here today and gone tomorrow. Yet it looks so beautiful while it is here. That you would provide for them like you provide for the birds of the air. Even though um, one of them falls to the ground, um, or does not fall to the ground apart from your will, and all of our hairs are numbered, God, I pray that, um, that you would so, so much more care for us. God, there are others here with concerns that uh, I have not uh, mentioned but are on my mind. There are other concerns that I don't know about. And I ask God that you would encourage them, remind them that you are so much greater than their circumstances. That your circumstances fit very easily in the palm of your hand. That we fit within the palm of your hand. And that we can never leave you or forsake you if we belong to Jesus. Because you will always keep us near to him by your spirit whom you have caused to live in our hearts. God be with us today. 
Be with us as a congregation. Remind us of your watch care. Remind us of your presence. Remind us of your power. Remind us of your goodness. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.